beautiful weather day outside, so I'm glad that y'all, y'all came today, and of course the, uh, I don't know who did this, but the decorating team did a great job, Emily and I grew all these poinsettias, and so I hope we all enjoy those, but, uh, but it's, it's good to, to be able to begin the process of celebrating uh, Christmas, the Christmas season, so as uh, we sang a couple of Christmas songs this week, we'll sing more next week, I'm sure the rest of January we'll, uh, we'll blow it out with Christmas stuff. We are in the process of going through the book of James, and we'll do that today. Then we're going to take a couple of weeks break uh, for the next couple of Sundays as we're going to place our focus upon the Christmas season, and then we're going to finish up, wrap up the book of James in early January. And so if you look in your bulletins, you'll notice that we're in James chapter 5. Last, uh, the last chapter, I mean, we're, we're almost finished with it. So if you have your Bible and you'd like to go ahead and get a head start, you can turn there. So we'll be looking in James chapter 5. Verse number one, and if you noticed in the bulletin, the, it's called Moneyball today. Now, I don't know why I chose that, but uh, it's dealing with money. And I'm sure there's some of you here today, and you're thinking, man, every time I come to church, the preacher talks about money. Now, if that's the case for you, then I want you to know you've not been to church in a year. Because the last time I preached about money was uh, almost a year ago. And so if you say that, then uh, you're, you're letting me know you haven't been here in a long time. But we're going through the book of James, and that's just sort of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, there was a story I heard about a man, an elderly man, who came into uh, a large sum of money, inherited it, and the family was afraid to tell him. And because they were afraid he's kind of older, if we tell him it might be a shock, he might just fall over dead of a heart attack. So they said, we need somebody to share with him this news where they can kind of ease him into it. And so they said, we'll get the preacher. Preacher's always a good guy. He can talk to him and kind of ease him into this, uh, this inheritance story. And so the pastor was glad to do it, went to talk to the guy, uh, shared with him for about 30 minutes. They're just kind of going back and forth. And then the pastor said, hey, he said, Jim, let me ask you a question. He said, let's just say that, you know, you got like $300,000. What do you think you'd do with it? And he sat there for a while and he said, you know, to be honest with you, he said, I think I'd give every penny of it to the church. The pastor dropped dead of a heart attack. Now, uh, you know, money is a subject that is, that's pretty close to a lot of our hearts because obviously you need money to be able to survive. Uh, and with the economy the way that it is, the way it's been the last couple of years, there are some of you who are starting to figure out that you're going to work until you're probably about 98 and then you're going to be able to retire. And so money is something that we understand that we need to have it. And one thing we would all probably like to have is more of it. Now, because of that, we get some funny ideas about money, and we have the idea that if I have more of it, then, then I'm going to be able to enjoy life more. Now, that's not necessarily true, and I'm sure some of you would like to say, well, I'd like to get more of it so I could find out for myself, but that's not necessarily true. Uh, there are others of us who think, well, if I get more money, then it will solve so many of my problems. You know, it can bring healing into my family. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that there was a psychologist and a marriage counselor who said that about 89% of all troubles and arguments in marriage deal with finances. Now, I don't know really how you kind of quantify that or figure that out, but I would say that that's probably a pretty accurate picture. Now, it's not that money is something that is bad or that it's evil, but I really think more than anything, it's what is our attitude towards our wealth? What is our attitude towards the finances, the money that we do have. And so today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see James sharing with us about the issue of money. And I think as we go through the Scripture, 
one thing that we can do is we can go to the scripture and look at a few questions that we can ask ourselves about our wealth and hopefully answer them so that we can make sure that we stay on the right path and prioritize the wealth that we have in an accurate manner. Now, money's not evil. I mean, we're told in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says that money is a root of all sorts of evil. So it's not the money that's the problem. The problem with many of us is it's our attitude towards the wealth that we have. And so we're going to kind of see a picture of this in James chapter 5. And uh, one thing before I get there, so just as a little something to hang on to as we go through this, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, he said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so we're going to examine this, and then we're going to look in James chapter 5 and verse number 1. And one thing that you know is for the last, I guess, couple of months, we've been going, we've been going through the book of James. And as you, if you've read through the book of James, one thing that you'll see about the book of James is tremendously, it's a really practical book. And I like it so much because it's, it doesn't take like a genius to figure out what he's trying to say. I mean, you look at James, and James talks about, watch what you say, right? He says, your mouth is tremendously powerful. Be careful with the words that you speak. Um, he talks about temptations that we face and how we're able to overcome them. And he talks about the trials that we have in our lives. And then today... He hits another subject that's very close to us. He talks about finances. Now, I mean, you go through the book of James, he will step on your toes at some point. And for many of us, today will be one of those days when he steps on your toes. So what, what kind of questions can we ask about our wealth that will help us to prioritize it where it needs to be? And one of the questions I see that we should ask about our wealth is this one. Am I using my wealth or is it using me? Am I using my wealth or is it using me? In verse number one, it says, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over your miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is ruined. Your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You stored up treasure in the last days. Now, if you look in verse number one, it, does, it, doesn't, take a, a, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out who he's talking to. Who's he talking to? He says, listen now, who? Come now, you rich people. And some of you look at that and you just go, thank goodness today's message is not for me. You know, you say, hey, I'm not wealthy. This is a message for somebody. Oh, this is a message for Gary Collins and Todd Little. So I'm out of this thing. I don't have to worry about it. Now, here's the deal. Guys, wealth is tremendously relative. And so what we like to do is we like to, we like to get really rich people and say, well, compared to that guy, I don't have anything. Yeah, the richest man in the world is a guy named Carlos Slim Halu. He lives in Mexico. He's worth $73 billion. Uh, number two is Bill Gates. He's worth $67 billion. Now, compared to those guys, you ain't got nothing, right? I mean, he's like, I'm not rich. Y'all, compared to the world... But we are so wealthy. Um, every year we go to Haiti, and whenever we go there, I'm, I am astounded about how much we have. There is not a poor person in our country. And so the big question for us is, well, then, how do I use my wealth in such a way that it's going to pay the biggest dividends? How can I use my wealth in a way where it's going to make a difference? 
Now, my fear for many of us is that, that we are allowing our wealth to use us instead of us using our wealth. And that's what was happening with the people that James was writing to in our text. That they weren't using their wealth. Instead, their wealth was using them. You see, their number one priority in life, their goal in life was just to get more. Their goal in life was to to be able to collect more and more for themselves. And so what happened is they were chasing after it. They were sacrificing everything for it to, to where it got to a point where it was dominating their lives. And when that happens for us, guys, we are being ruled by our wealth. Now, there's an old saying that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Y'all heard that one? That makes sense on the surface. If I got more than you, then I win. You know, that's kind of a, if you're a competitive person, that's what you want. You know, you want to be, you want to be number one. So if I got, if I have more junk than you do, then that means I've been more successful than you. But when I look at James... James says, you're seeking after all this stuff, and where does it lead? And if you go back into verse number 1, he says, the people were weeping and wailing. Oh, what's, why? Well, whenever we seek after wealth as our primary aim in life, it's absolutely fruitless, because when that becomes your number one endeavor in life, you will never get enough. I promise you. You know, whenever we get more of something, what do we want? I want more. You know, whenever you get a new car, I mean, how long does that joy last? I mean, it lasts for a while, but then after a while, you're like, man, there's a newer model that's coming out. We want more, but, but wealth and stuff doesn't satisfy. Chuck Swindoll, who's one of my favorite preachers, said that, that seeking after money, he said it's a lot like salt water. He said, if, you know, if you're on a raft and you're caught in the middle of the ocean and you're thirsty, he said, you begin to drink the salt water. So what happens? He says, you get thirstier and thirstier each time you drink. And he said, before long, what's going to happen is you're going to become dehydrated and then you're going to die. That's what money does. We think it'll satisfy and we want to drink it as much as we can, but all that it does is it, it just simply causes us to want more and more to where it's going to dehydrate us. So King Solomon did this. You go back into the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see that Solomon sought after everything that the world had to offer, thinking it was going to bring him joy. And so he goes after all this stuff, and it never, it never pleased him. And he said, it's just like a, it's like a chasing after the wind. He said, all is vanity. And so that's why James, in our text today, he points out how wealth is just temporary. Wealth fades. Now, in this day, there were really three ways to measure your wealth. I mean, you would measure your wealth in grain, in your clothing, and in jewelry. And if you had a lot of any of that stuff, then you would be considered a wealthy person. But James points out how temporary all those things are. I mean, if you have grain for a long time, what does grain end up doing eventually? I mean, one, you're going to eat it, or it's going to rot. If you have a bunch of clothes and you keep them for a long period of time, do they last forever? Well, no, he says they become moth-eaten. Talks about jewelry. He says gold and silver. Eventually what's going to happen is it's going to corrode. And what does that mean? It means that the stuff that so many of us seek after, it's, it's temporary. It doesn't bring fulfillment into your life. So what should we do? Well, we should take stock of the fact that our wealth, it's, it's something that is temporary. Therefore, while if it's temporary, we want to use it in such a way where it can be effective and make a difference in people's lives. 
Now, the people James was writing to, they weren't using their wealth to impact and change lives. They were using it for themselves. Their goal was simply to get more and more. But if that becomes our end pursuit, it's not going to be long until we discover that all it does is leave us empty. And it's empty because it's not lasting. Wealth is not lasting. There's only a period of time that you have it. I mean, again, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19-21, Don't collect for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, what's the point of having a bunch of stuff if we're just collecting it for us? You know, what's the point of having a bunch of of things if we're just simply going to keep it for me? It doesn't have any value beyond me. Uh, There's a story of a a wealthy man who went to see a rabbi, and he was talking to the rabbi. The rabbi took him by the arm and went over to a window. He said, "I, I want you to look out the window and tell me what you see. And so the man looked out the window, and he said, well, I mean, I see men, women, and children. So I want you to come over here, and he said, now look in this mirror. He said, tell me what you see. He looked in the mirror, and he said, well, I mean, obviously I see myself. He said, now what's interesting is he said, both of them are made out of glass, but when you put a little silver in one, you no longer have the ability to see somebody else. You only have the ability to see you. You know, when our focus is on getting more and more, all we see is ourselves. That's why the Bible tells us in Luke 12, 15, it says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And we need to understand wealth. We need to understand it's, it's something that's temporary. And so we want to ask the question, am, am I using my wealth or is it using me? I think it's a good question to ask. But another question that we can ask is, well, do I care about how I treat others? Do I care about how I treat others? Now look with me in verse 4. It says, look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You know, we, we can let a lot of things slide if we think that the, that the end justifies the means. Now, the people in our text, their, their desire again was, it was just to get more and more. It was to be successful. Now, there's nothing wrong with being financially successful. If, 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 that's, if you're one of those people, man, that's, that's awesome. You can look through the Bible and find out that you can be a wealthy person and love God. Uh, there's all, all kinds of people in the Bible like this. I mean, there's, you can go back to the Old Testament. There's King Solomon, you know, like the richest king that ever lived in Israel. Uh, there's King David. Uh, there was um, Joseph of Arimathea. There was Barnabas in the New Testament. So it's possible to have a lot and be a person who loves God. But the problem in our text is these people were seeking to be so successful that they were willing to run people over and step on their throat to become number one. I mean, that's how, that's how focused in and how much they desired to get more and more is that they were willing to trash people to get what they want. And guys, whenever, whenever wealth is our focus, people become a secondary concern in our lives. And, and I just looked at this text and I thought about me. And I thought, do I, do I really care about people? Do I care how I treat others? And that's a question for you. I mean, do, do you care? but how you treat others, or is your primary concern in life is just you? I don't know how many of y'all ever 
watched uh, 30. Have you ever seen those 30 for 30s on ESPN? Yeah, if, if you haven't, um, you need to watch them. They're really good. My favorite one is the one about Bo Jackson. This that has nothing to do with I'm going to say. Uh, but Bo Jackson, that was a really, that's a great one. I love that one. If you haven't seen it, you can get it on Netflix, I think. Anyway, uh, I watched one a couple weeks ago, and it was about Jimmy Connors. Y'all remember Jimmy Connors? Uh, for all you old people like me, he was like an incredible tennis player. Won more tennis tournaments than any male ever. 109 tennis tournaments. He played till he was like 70. Uh, and he won eight major championships. Now, here's the thing about Jimmy Connors. If you watch 30 on 30 about Jimmy Connors, oh, he was mean. If you if y'all remember Jimmy Connors, he was, I mean, he did not, he would do anything to win. As a matter of fact, they, they talked about 1991 when he was in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. He's like 38 years old. I mean, most people retire in like 25. He's 38, still out there just, you know, slugging away. He wants to win so bad. He places one of his best friends, Aaron Crickstein, and, uh, yeah, I'm just doing the whole ESPN show here. So he's playing his best friend, Aaron Crickstein, one of his best friends, Eric Crickstein, and he just, he obliterates him, wins. Okay, after it's over, Aaron Crickstein comes and shakes his hand. Jimmy Connors shakes his hands and walks off. He has never talked to him to this day since that match. Now, the deal was he was not going to allow anything, including relationships, to stand between him and winning. Now, some of us can look at that and go, that is a guy that's committed. I would like to have him on my football team. You know, I mean, you can look at you can praise him and say, that was a guy, you know, who's a champion. And I look at it and go, that guy's a jerk. I mean, just absolutely unbelievable. And it's so totally against Scripture. John 13, 35 tells us, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Jesus talked about the golden rule in Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets. Guys, let me tell you something. It matters. It matters how we treat people. Do you know that? You know why it matters? Because it matters to God. I mean, th- did God have that kind of an attitude where, you know, I'm not going to take any prisoners? I, you know, I'm taking names. I'm taking no prisoners. Did, did God have that kind of attitude? Man, if, he, if he wanted to, he could have. He could have come in here and just absolutely... You know, turn this place to a smoking heap of ash. But he cared about people. And he gave himself for people because he loved people. And I said, what what am I supposed to do? We are to look to God for direction and say, God, I will live for you and no longer live for myself. Now, you might say, man, if I do that, that means I'm going to get second best. If I live for for God, not me, I get second best. But you know what? Did you know if you live for you, you get second best? If you seek after your ways, I promise you, you're going to come up so far short of what God has intended for you. We're told in Galatians 6, 7 through 9, for whatever man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we must not get tired in doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Man, y'all, this is a real simple concept. If you plant corn... What kind of crop are you going to get? Sweet potatoes. No, you eat corn, right? You, I mean, you reap what you sow. Now, we all know this, but here's what's always kind of amazing to me. There's a lot of people who go out, we reap anger. Or excuse me, we sow anger. We sow bitterness. We sow frustration and jealousy. And then we think we're going to reap joy and 
happiness. And then we get frustrated when we don't. You will reap what you sow. You plant the things of God, you're going to reap the things of God. So think about that when it comes to your wealth. Now, what kind of questions can I ask? Am I using my wealth or is it using me? Do I care about how I treat others? And this is the last one. Last question. What does the way I use my wealth say about my heart? You know, what does the way I use my wealth say about, about me? And those last two verses I'll, I'll read in our text today. It says, you've lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourselves. You've fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You've condemned. You've murdered. The righteous man, he does not resist you. Billy Graham said, if you give me five minutes with somebody's checkbook, I can tell you a whole lot about their heart. I think that's probably pretty true. You know, the things that we love, the things that we care about the most, we invest in those things. We, we do. We put our money where our heart is. Now, some of you can say, well, you can't look into my checkbook, so I feel pretty safe. You're right, I can't look in your checkbook. But let me tell you something. You know who can? God can. And God will look to see how we use what he's given us, and he will hold us accountable. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, or the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he's done in the body, whether good or worthless. Now, how does that strike y'all? I'm going to be honest with you. That strikes me with a little bit of fear. I'm going to, I will be held accountable for how I use what God has given me. That's a little bit scary. Now, just kind of turn a little bit from this. Remember what it was like, for those, for those of you who are married, you remember what it was like when you were dating the person you were getting ready to marry? Remember what you used to do whenever you'd, you'd get prepared to go out with them? Now, you'd get, all, you'd get cleaned up, you know, you would shave. Uh, you would, uh, you know, you put on your best clothes, you'd comb your hair. I mean, I would, I'd put, y'all have so many calyx, I'd put gel in my hair to, like, that my hair sticks straight up, it's awful. And so I'd do all those things that I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to, imp- I wanted to look good, but I wanted to impress Emily. I want, I, I did it because I liked her. And I wasn't doing it because I thought, man, I just look so good. You know, I was doing it because I wanted to impress her. Now, I think we need to have the same, I know, we need to have the same attitude when it comes to God. Then we say, Lord, I, I want, I want to be cleaned up. I want, I want to do these things, not because I'm, not because I think I look good, but because God, because I love you. And I want you to see the way that I love you by what I do. Now, I know there's some of us, we say, well, I know a lot of people that tried to look good for me, tried to do things, they act like they're doing things for me, but they're really just interested in themselves. They're just trying to get something out of me. And we've had, I can't tell you how many times I went on dates, and there were girls that just wanted to have me on their arms so they have eye candy. I'm kidding. Didn't happen. Now, some of us think we can, we can do the same thing with God. That, you know, we can trick God. Y'all, let me tell you, with God, we can't trick God. God sees. He doesn't just see the stuff we do. You know what he sees? He sees my heart. He sees who I really am. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must all give account. Everything about us is totally exposed when we stand before God. The excuses we give, hey, I act this way because my parents did this to me. The excuses... 
you know, the, the masks that we put on trying to trick people, they all come off before God. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says you stand naked before God. God sees everything about us. And when God looked at the people in our text, James said, listen, God sees right through you. I don't care how many scriptures you know. I don't care how often you come to church. I don't care what you do, how you live, how many people you've helped. He said, God sees your motives. He sees what you're all about. And when God looked at the people, he saw them as being a selfish people who were indulging themselves. And James said, you are, you're living luxuriously and you are fattening your hearts. For a reason. For what? For the day of slaughter. Man, the day of slaughter. He said, you are living for yourself. You're fattening yourself up. He said, but there's coming a day of slaughter. God, that is scary. What's that all about? It's a picture of cattle. You know, the, you get cattle, and they, they feed them, give them a lot of food, fatten them up, and they, they kill them for their meat. So James is saying, this is what's happening with us. Now, I'm sure the cows enjoy getting the extra food. You know, so, hey, I get to eat a whole lot. Get to kick back and relax. It's kind of fun. Sit in the grass, you know, over here in the grass. I can eat whenever I want to. Yeah, but there's a price to pay. The price to pay is going to cost you your life. James is saying, when you live for you, there's coming a day of slaughter. When you live for you, you are investing in the temporary, and it will not have a good payoff for the eternal. It reminds me of the story of the rich man in the, in the book of Luke, whenever he's got a bumper crop and he's building extra barns. Nothing wrong with it, but he never considered his creator. And Jesus said this in Luke 12, 20. He says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. Guys, God has given us everything that we have. The question is, how are we using it? You know, this life is not about you, and this life is not about me. It's not. If you are a follower of God, the book of Ephesians says, you've been bought at a price. That means you don't belong to you anymore. Therefore, you are to honor God with your body, with everything about you. And so that's why my, cha my challenge for you today is, okay, am I doing that? If I'm a follower of Jesus, do I demonstrate through the way that I live that I belong to him? My encouragement for you is to seriously examine how you use what you have for the glory of God. How can we do that? Ask yourself a few questions. Are you using your wealth or is it using you? Do you care how you treat others? And what does the way you use your wealth say about your heart? Now, I don't want you to leave here thinking, preacher's just trying to get my money again. Now, I'm not trying to get your money. I'm not. I'm not trying to get it. I'm just trying to get you to consider where are you investing your life. I'm not talking about, we can talk about the tithe, the 10%, talk about offerings. I'm talking about the stuff, the, you know, I'm talking about the other 90% that you keep. How are you using it? to honor God? How are you using it to demonstrate that you follow Him?